Morning, everybody. Man. Uh, so, if you've been a part of a church plant ever, uh, you never know exactly what you're going to get. And if you will just look up right now, I'm just glad that all tribes, tongues, and nations are being celebrated. Today, this one time, um, a previous church plan I was a part of, we had an entire Moana, very much set up like this. We had an entire Moana set uh, all across. Wasn't it Moana? Well, we had two. We had circuses with this really creepy cl clown thing over in the corner. Uh, and then we also had uh, Moana. How far can she go? Um, and so you never know exactly what you're going to get. So this is nothing compared uh, to some of the fun that church planting can bring. Um, hey, my name is Jeremy. I'm the new assistant pastor here uh, at Creve Hall. Very excited and thankful uh, to be in front of you today uh, and also to be one of you today. Uh, I don't come as one who's figured it out. Uh, I come as a fellow sojourner on the way home, just like you. Uh, so before uh, Adrian comes up and reads, let me, let me try to set up our passage this way. Who is somebody that you've always wanted to please? Like, who is somebody in your life who, over the course of, and this probably shifts, and there's multiple relationships uh, at any time, and it could be parents, bosses, friends, spouse, children, uh, you know, you name it. There are all kinds, it's a very natural thing, and there are all kinds of people uh, in our lives, and it is very natural to want to be pleasing to them. It's a very natural thing. But have you ever experienced a kind of pleasure over you that did not depend on what you did? Have you ever, sorry, have you ever experienced a kind of pleasure that you could bring your best and you could bring your worst, like creaky microphones, and it didn't matter? They were just pleased with you because they were pleased with you. My grandparents have always been kind of one of those people in my life that I always knew that I could count on to just love me because they loved me. Uh, so my granddad, really early on, uh, he was, uh, he's now uh, passed away, but he about, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, he was, oh, it would have been about 32 years ago, he retired from the Fulton County Board of Education. And I was four or five years old at the time, and there was a, like a giant retirement party that he, uh, the, his office mates hosted for him. And there was a lot of people at this party. I can vaguely remember being there. And all I knew was there was this sheet that was being passed around and circulated. And I saw many people kind of chuckling and sort of looking at me and then looking back and, and chuckling. And what his staff had done is created this thing that on the very top said, Granddad's brag sheet. And again, I'm four or five years old at the time. I'm an only child. And my granddad was known for bragging about me everywhere he went. So much so that all of his office mates on his retirement, the day that is most about celebrating him, they knew the thing that he would enjoy the most, and also poking a little bit of fun at him, uh, would be that I would get celebrated. That was who he was. And I don't, as a four or five-year-old, what are you even getting celebrated for? Like, he learned to spell the word the today. That was maybe number one. He 
didn't spill the Cheerios on his pants today. That was number two. I don't, you know, just very, very much non-impressive uh, things, I'm sure, were on that list. But he just loved me. And they just loved me just because I was theirs. The story that we're about to enter into, the encounter with Jesus we're about to enter into, is asking that same question. Is there anybody that will just love me because they love me? Or is every relationship in my life contingent upon me being pleasing enough that someone else would accept me? So with that, Adrian, would you come and read for us? And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good, de- what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, what, what do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep, keep, the, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. And come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of our Lord. Thank you, Adrian, and thanks be to God. So in, into our questioning this morning walks the rich young ruler. And he doesn't walk in meek and lowly. He walks in with a swag. And he comes in right on the heels of another interaction that if you just went back a couple of verses, the last interaction that Matthew captures just prior to this is an interaction between Jesus and a bunch of little kids. And the interaction went something like this. No, no, no. Kids and Jesus, they cannot be around each other. You're too smelly. You're too needy. You're too loud. And Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? Come, get out of the way. Kids, come here. And he scruffs their hair and he high fives them and he sends them back off into their soccer matches and homework and whatever else they were doing that day. And then he teaches his disciples using that teachable moment and says, listen, They had every requirement to be in the kingdom. They were small. They were humble. They had snot coming out of their nose. They had grass stains that their moms couldn't get out of their pants because OxyClean hadn't been invented yet. They were needy. They were messy. And much like us, when we're honest enough with ourselves, we are too. But we tend to think that those are the things that would make Jesus want to keep us at arm's length, if even an arm's length. How about a cosmos away, if he knew the real me? And yet here we come, and here Jesus comes in this interaction, and this encounter 
with the rich young ruler. And he struts in with his Patagonia down puffer and his Apple watch and his Thursday boots and his backwards trucker hat. Maybe. I'm just trying to make it a little more relatable. Because listen, we're a lot more like this guy than we'd like to think. I'm a lot more like this guy than I'd like to think. And so it is very natural to want to please others, but it is a very supernatural thing when you're accepted just because you're you. So what do I have to do to get in is sort of the, the opening question, the presenting problem that the rich young ruler brings to Jesus. And like a good Jew, like one who grew up going to synagogue, hearing the, the Ten Commandments read over and over and over again, he had picked up enough about God to know that, okay, I know that there's something about I've got to be good. I've got to meet some sort of standard if I'm going to be in with him. He knew enough about God to be convicted. He did not know enough about God to be free. Do you know enough about God to be free? Do you know enough about God to feel accepted? Do you know enough about God to know that it's not what you know about God that gets you in? So that's where we're going this morning. We're going to do that uh, in the way of three kind of uh, aspects of the passage that we're going to pull out and very quickly look through. Uh, so first, there's a delusion that the rich young ruler is under. Then there's a dilemma that the rich young ruler encounters. And finally, there's a decree that the rich young ruler experiences. So this delusion, uh, maybe we could summarize this by also quoting another one who wrote a similar book about a delusion. In 2006, Richard Dawkins wrote a book called The God Delusion. And in it, he makes this point. He says, do you really mean to tell me that the only reason you try to be good, Christian, is to gain God's approval and reward or to avoid his disapproval and punishment? That's not morality. That's just sucking up. Apple polishing, looking over your shoulder at the great surveillance camera in the sky, or at the still small wiretap inside your head, monitoring your every move, even your every base thought. That conclusion and a number of others that Christians should look at and, and have answers for these very valid concerns that he raises. But all of those things led him to this conclusion. There is no God. Because if there's a God like that, I don't want anything to do with him. It makes no sense. Why would he do that? How could he be so cruel? But what if he had only fallen into the very same false notion that every one of us naturally are born into this world believing? And you can trace this all the way back. You go to the very first pages of the Bible and you find two people. And those two people are, given, are created and then given gift after gift, after gift, after gift. They are doted over and said, you are very good, and this creation that I have made is very good. There is a pleasure over this creation, and his people included, just because they're them. But then there's an assumption that they make that begins this 
topsy-turvy way that we understand God today. Because there's a boundary that gets placed. There's a don't that gets put in front of his two first created people. And their response to that is not, oh, thank you so much. I was really wondering and knowing that you are so good that anything you would tell me not to do, I would just so willingly do it and say, thank you. Adam, Eve, and every one of us now, we can't even help but hear those don'ts as he must not be pleased. And there must be some kind of gap between he and me that I've got to do enough don'ts in order to get up to him. And so we are born into this world believing that. We are born into this skin believing that that is who God is. We don't have to try. We naturally, our conception is that if he is real, that must be what he is. And so Rico Suave comes sauntering in, and he's believing the exact same thing that every one of us are born into this world. And then here's, what he, here's, here's the question that he asks, how many don'ts do I have to not do? Just give me the number. Just tell me what I have to do, Jesus, and then I will do it. I just need to know. Because there's an interesting, uh, maybe I'm looking too much into this, but as I read this passage this week, it struck me that two things seem to be true of him. First, he knows enough about the law to know that there is some sort of standard he's supposed to meet. But then he also seems to have this this sneaking suspicion that he's not meeting it. He seems so proud outwardly. Everything about his life seems to be going exactly right. And yet there seems to be something about him that still, when he's quiet in the middle of the night, he wonders, is it enough? Did I really do it? Is he pleased? And so Jesus invites him into this dilemma. He invites him to ask the question, why do you ask me about what is good? We're talking about goodness here, right? Okay, well then let me tell you this. How about if there's only one who's good? And the rich ruler, if he's anything like me, might be looking around and going, oh, there's only one? Well, his kids just left and it's not them. Maybe it's me. And so he, he gets baited by this question, and Jesus is not trying to toy around with him just for his own kicks. He's drawing him in to see the foolishness of his line of thinking. It's the very same thing for those of you with children in this room, or those of you who have ever been around children, that there are those places where you go, okay, well, tell me a little bit more about that. Where is that line of thinking going to ultimately get you? And we, we sort of let them talk Jesus is letting the rich young ruler talk and then catching him in what he's saying. And as he's saying it, hopefully, he's even hearing what he's saying and realizing that there may be some holes in it. You think you can be good enough to make God love you? Okay. Well, then let's go with that line of thinking. You you think you can make God love you by being good enough, by following all his commandments. Then just keep them. Just keep them. There's a, there is a, an entire goal of the law that the rich young ruler has no idea is being laid on the side of his head right now. 
Because part of the goal of the law is not only to show you what, it, what a godly life looks like, it's to show you all the places where you're not living it. It's to show you all the places where you are falling dreadfully short. And so he begins to list off all of these things that don't do this, don't do that, listen off all those Ten Commandments. Oh, and by the way, in case those didn't catch you, love your neighbor as yourself, like all the time always. And what's his response again? Yeah, 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 I did that. I do all that all the time. He, again, he must have missed the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus was real clear about a lot of that back in Matthew 5 and 6, and he's talking about anger as the root of murder and then lust as a root for adultery and all these things. He must not have been there for that sermon because he totally falls for it. Because to ask that question, which ones? Which ones must I believe? Which ones must I do in order for God to be pleased? That begins a line of questioning that also ends in a line of functioning. And so if you believe that that's who God is, if you believe that God is a dictator in the sky who you must do enough good to live up to, to sort of balance the scales between what the bad you've done and the good you've done and hopefully tip the scales in the good direction, then here's what that line of thinking might look like in your life. Rich, young, ruler. Wealth, youth, power. This is the American gospel. This is how we believe, not them out there, us, me. This is what we believe. We wake up every morning believing that money and power and respect will get me what I need. To quote DMX and Little Kim from the mid-90s, don't go look up the song if you don't know it. Money, power, respect, what's the key to life? They ask the question. Money, power, respect, what you need in life? They answer the question. Money, power, respect, you'll be eating right. Money, power, respect, you can sleep at night. This is, this is the hashtag blessed life that so many of us, myself included, wake up believing that that's what it is to please God. That's what it is to be right in this world. And so you run three times a day. I mean, no, not three times a day. That'd be a lot. You run three times a week. Three times a day, you get extra points with Jesus. Uh, <laughs> you work diligently 50 hours a week. You're well-respected in the community. You, you give the dollar to get the paper uh, by the, the folks who are selling them on the, the corner of 65 and, and um, OHB over there. You do all the right things at exactly the right time, to quote Vertical Horizon. <laughs> all these mid-90s references, I'm sorry. I just got, never mind. Uh, I just got a new radio that has a lot of stations in it that I'd never heard before um, from the mid-90s. So, so then to ask ourselves that question this morning, is Jesus pleased? If that's what we've shaped our life to be, is Jesus pleased? If that's who we are and what we believe God is, is Jesus pleased? And the beauty about Jesus is he cares enough about us to not leave us in that lurch. He cares enough about us to not leave us asking those questions from sort of a, a far off distance.
but he comes, he continues to pursue the every verse he moves a little bit closer to the rich young ruler. Every verse, he draws him in a little bit more to see just how foolish he's being. That ultimate question, is God pleased, is the question that ultimately changed my life and continues to. It took me until junior year of, junior year of college to believe that I wasn't enough. Everything had gone right. Everything had been right. Everything I'd done right, at least outwardly. And then as college tends to do, it gives you a lot more opportunity for failure and a lot more opportunity and maybe cognitive ability for self-reflection. And the two of those things, God just pulled me by the scruff of my neck to answer that question. Jesus looked me dead in the face and said, are you enough? And he asked you the same question this morning. And this table that's spread before us asks the same question, are you enough? Is your life enough? Have you made it count? Like the end of Saving Private Ryan, enough. And lovingly, Jesus stares you right back and says, no, you haven't. You aren't enough. You haven't done enough. You haven't been enough. You're not successful enough. You're not wealthy enough. You're not powerful enough. You're not righteous enough. And then he, he draws him in with this question. If, you, if you've missed every other cue, then here's what I want you to do. Sell everything and give it to the poor. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with wealth. There, don't read this passage as one who is saying that if you really love Jesus, you go sell everything and live in a van down by the river. If, if you really love Jesus, this is not a statement for you to grab onto. What he is saying, though, and Jesus is so good at this. I hope you've experienced this in your life. Jesus draws near in the very spot that we're most sensitive. And then he calls us out of it. That's where he's saying, leave that behind. Junior year of college me, leave that quest for righteousness behind. Leave that quest for approval behind. You can't do it. You're not enough. Because ultimately, what the rich young ruler is, is just a template. The, the rich young ruler is a, a shadow a glimmer, a glimpse of a real rich young ruler, right? Our definition of wealth and power and youth is totally off. Look at a real rich young ruler and look at one who was so rich that he lived in the, in the kingdom of the eternal God, dwelling at his right hand through everything that was made was made through him. This is the Jesus who then takes off that cloak of eternity and steps into our skin. His experience goes from one who is very rich, very wealthy, very youthful, and then he takes all of those things and very powerful and takes all of those things and shelves them. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. 
Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And so living the good life that God requires as he looks at us and says, you can't do it. Then he points back at himself and says, because I did. You wanted a perfect, righteous, shiny life that you can present to the Lord? I did that for you. I've lived this perfect life for you. You've got this weight of baggage, of shame and guilt from your past and all the things that you haven't done. All the ways that you haven't met that, let me take that. And with that kind of perfection, then go approach the Father. Because what if God is not an evil dictator in the sky? What if he is a loving Father who is putting all the right things into your life and taking all the right things out of your life, even calling you out of that which you would cherish most? If he asked you today to say, sell it all, give it to the poor, Follow me. Would you? Or whatever that is for you. Give me your child. Give me your health. Give me your power. Give me your wisdom. Give me your attempts at righteousness. Let me have them. You just trust me. That is what this table is drawing us into. So, Two questions as we consider the perfect life, the substitutionary death, the glorious resurrection and ascension, and that Jesus, still king, sits at the right hand of God the Father today. That's who God is. And if that's who God is, as you come to this table, ask these two questions. One, how are you trying today to earn God's approval? Christian, non-Christian, anywhere in between. What are the places in your life where you are trying today to earn God's approval? Second, how, if you truly believed everything we just said about who the real rich young ruler is and what he has offered to you in the gospel, if you have trusted in that story to be more true than the story that you're living, how would, it, how would you then treat your wealth your youth, and your power. And in the same way he has given it for you, would you also give it and follow him? How is he calling you to do that today? Ask those questions as we come to the table together. Let's pray. So Father, you're so good to take every reason that you should want to have nothing to do with us and love us anyways for every wrong thing, even wrong act, even like Dawkins said, even at every base level thought that we have or desire that we bring. You see that, you see us, and we are welcomed, not put off. And so I pray that we would experience that welcome this morning. And as we experience that welcome that requires nothing of us, that we would then freely give all that we have. And however you're calling us to sell it all and follow you, would we be faithful to respond? We pray in Christ.